Thank you, Nigel. Let's pray, shall we, as we look at this, again, extraordinary section of God's Word this evening. Father, thank you for your words in Scripture. Thank you for the inspiration you gave to the teacher who wrote this book for us. And may we have your Spirit's help to understand and listen and take to heart. And may his words shape our faith and our lives now and for eternity in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we get older, there comes a bit of a disconnection. Um, Our bodies, as we get older, are deteriorating, uh, apparently. (laughs) And yet our inner self stays the same. People will always say, I feel the same now as I did when I was 15 or when I was 25, even though I may now be 75. Um, So the mirror tells a different story from the mind. And this disconnect happens. So you know, hair goes grey and wrinkles appear and so on. Uh, and some people take this battle with ageing very seriously. So apparently there's something called the, I think it's pronounced, Cinegenics Medical Practice in Las Vegas. It would be Las Vegas, wouldn't it? It describes itself as the world's first age management practice. Great phrase, age management practice. And for a large fee, they will enable you to spend as long as possible in your, this physical human body, through exercising it and, and drugging, medicalizing it, and, of course, adapting it, um, surgery and so on. So the idea, I guess, behind that is that you, know, you can't avoid death, but you can basically ignore it. On the other hand, our culture, I think, is beginning to face up more honestly to the process of aging and dying. I think of the film Iris, which starred Judy Dench a few years ago as the very successful novelist Iris Murdoch and her battle with progressive dementia towards the end of her life. And this book, Ecclesiastes, is incredibly realistic. That's why our series is called Living with Reality. Realistic about human life, even lived from the point of view of faith. We've seen on one hand that everything under the sun He says, Ecclesiastes, the teacher, everything is uh, meaningless, is the word that comes in our translation a lot through the book. It's there at the end of our reading. We've seen that maybe a better way of translating that word is, is everything is temporary or fleeting, fragile or frustrating. And so, as he said in chapter 3, a famous poem we saw back in chapter 3, there are times and seasons. There are seasons for good, seasons for bad, seasons for happiness, seasons for grief, seasons to speak, seasons to be silent. And this mixture of life, of the joy and the frustration, is the result we've seen that we live in a fallen world. We're between the fall of the human race, back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, and the new creation in the future when Christ returns and everything's restored in perfection and glory. And Ecclesiastes has this tension between the frustration but also the joy of this life. Um, He's not just miserable. There's lots of encouragement in his book to enjoy life, to eat and drink and enjoy work, and we've seen it before. It's in our reading again tonight as we're going to see And so here is this book. We're coming to the end of the book now, trying to look back at what we've learnt. 
And he summarizes, actually, in the, in the very end of chapter 12. It wasn't read for us just now, but have a look at verse 9. Just after where we stopped, he says, uh, kind of autobiographical, not only was the teacher wise, but he, or he means I, imparted knowledge to the people. He's saying, I spent a lot of time researching, thinking through, praying through the real heart of life lived under God, and I've written it down for you now. And I guess he's saying, isn't he, two things. He says, listen to what I'm saying to you. Don't just think, interesting book, good sermon series, move on. But keep listening. Keep working through, praying through what we've seen about life, about work, about enjoyment, about uh, human suffering, and about eternity. Listen, and he says, <clears throat> put it into practice. Live this out. It's a very practical book, as we've seen, we'll see in our reading tonight. Listen and live it out. And as he talks about wisdom for real life tonight, in our reading, um, we're going to look at it under two headings, two sections, because it kind of breaks into that, uh, round about the end of chapter 11, two halves. First one, the theme of worry and work. Worry and work. And then the second one, we're going to see the theme of youth and old age. Youth and old age. So worry and work, chapter 11, down to round about, chapter, round about verse 6. Proverbs, and this is a chapter of Proverbs, sayings. These are things that capture truths about real life. We've seen before, they're often quite situational. Something that applies in one place may not apply in another And so in chapter 2, we saw that poem. He said, there's a time to sow and a time to reap, a time to speak, a time to be silent. So we had to be discerning as to when certain wisdom, certain proverbs apply. But what he says here about work and worry, I'm going to summarize it under two proverbs of our own. Here's the first one, kind of collecting together what he says in verses 1 to 6. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Really, the first two verses there. Nothing ventured, nothing. That's a modern saying of ours. It's not from Ecclesiastes. Um, I don't believe it's an inspired Bible saying that one. But it's a good saying nonetheless. He says in verse 1, it's not an easy phrase. Verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters. And many people find that a very odd thing to say. You know, the picture of kind of soggy, sliced white hovis floating off across the ocean. It's a strange picture, isn't it? That's why the more recent 2011 NIV Bible translates it slightly, I think, more helpfully, ship your grain across the sea. That may well be what he's saying here. It's a business piece of advice. If you're in business, then send your resources out to where they can make money for you. Don't cling on to them. Don't stick it all in the bank. But ship your grain across the sea because somehow, somewhere... And you can't control this, but in God's sovereignty, it will make a profit and come back to you. Get the sense of that? So it's actually very practical business advice. Take risks with what you have. Don't be rash, don't be crazy, but be prepared to take risks. We'd say speculate to invest. Put your resources out there, and in ways that you can't predict, they will come back to you. So I guess for us, it it might be saying, in your studies, if you're a student or at school, or in your work, 
Don't hold back creative ideas. Put them out there and see what happens with them. See if people pick them up and take them on board. Or, of course, your financial resources if you're in business. Jesus told a similar story which encouraged us to think also spiritually about this principle of nothing ventured, nothing gained. You know the power of the talents, as we call it, where he he said a a man went away and he left some people in in charge of some resources, talents, money probably, uh, and some of them invested it and made something more, but one just clung on to it. He was too afraid to do anything, so he buried it. And when his master says, it's, it, I've looked after it for you, here it is. And the master said, no, you should have done something with it. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Don't sit on what you have. So the one who ventures resources that God in whatever way has provided is rewarded in ways that we can't always predict. Verse 2 is similar, not an easy verse either. Verse 2 says, give to seven portions or, or to eight. Uh, and the Bible, seven symbolizes completeness, so he's saying, um, whatever he's saying, give everything you have, and then eight is almost saying, and beyond that. But what is he actually saying there? Again, the new translation's helpful here, translates this, invest in seven ventures or projects. Yes, in eight. That's probably what he's saying here. This is work business advice, saying, I guess we'd say, spread your risk. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Invest in seven or eight different projects, because if one of them fails and all that you have in your life is in that one, then you've lost everything. But if they're spread, there's a chance in God's providence that you will be secure for the future and again I think we can think more widely than just business here if, if, if everything you invest in is, is tied up in your career if that's everything that takes all your energy and your heart and your love and your passion uh, or your family uh, or your academic thesis or your possessions or even your personal health or looks or identity If it's all invested in one thing and that thing fails, you lose everything. So nothing ventured, nothing gained. Good, simple principle. Um, And then the rest of this little section, three to six, is, is also about work and how we make decisions. And the principle here is this. Any decision is better than no decision. It's the kind of saying we sometimes have at home. We're having trouble about it. Any decision is better than no decision. And he says, doesn't he, look, watch the cloud. Clouds are full of water, they drop rain without you having a thing to do with it. Trees fall over and they fall north, east, south. You don't control which way a tree falls over. You just watch. Um, The wind blows, clouds pass over your head, a child even grows in the womb, and these are all in God's care, God's work. You don't control them, or even understand how they happen. He's saying, isn't he, look, God is the creator, and you are not. I know I easily forget that. My human pride makes me think, I'm the lord of my destiny, I make things happen, but in reality, God's the creator, and you and I are just creatures of his. Yes, of his grace, his love, but just creatures. 
But that doesn't mean I should do nothing and just sit back and let God do everything. Because verse 4 says, if you just sit and watch the clouds, then you'll have nothing to reap next season. You've got to do something. Don't spend your whole life checking the weather forecasts, trying to pick exactly the best moment to sow your seed or go and harvest your crop, but just get on and do it. Any decision is better than no decision. Again, for us, it's easy to spend almost forever, isn't it, working out which of these projects is going to be the most successful and never actually doing any of them. Or which job should I apply for? And poring over CVs and adverts and never actually applying for any of them. Get on and do something. Any decision's better than no decision. It's good simple wisdom, isn't it? You see, what he's saying is this. Work is valuable. As long as it's legal and godly, any work is valuable. Whatever you're doing with your hands, with your mind during the week is valuable, but worry adds nothing. Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? You can't add a single hour to your life by worrying. So get on and do things. Use your energy, your time, your gifts, your heart, your mind, your hands to invest in life. Great wisdom, again, isn't it? When a businesswoman's tempted to, to keep the money in the bank rather than risking buying those new premises... The teacher says, you know, get on and use what you have. Um, venture in order to gain something. When a church is fearful, and this happens with churches apparently, fearful of risk. You know, fearful of taking on new staff in order to facilitate new ministry. I wonder, would the teacher say, actually, invest in projects. Seven, eight. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Make a decision. Get on and do it. I read the other day a lovely story about the conversion of someone called Luke Short, aged 103 when he was converted. Isn't that great? 103. Um, he was sitting by a hedge um, in his old age when he suddenly remembered a sermon he'd heard by a, a very famous Puritan preacher called John Flavel years before. And as he thought of that sermon, he repented of his sins, he came to Christ, and he was solidly converted as a follower of Christ. Now, he died three years later, age 106, and his tombstone read this, Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died in nature, aged 106. The best bit's this, though. The sermon he'd heard had been delivered 85 years earlier. The seed that that preacher John Flavel had had sown only reached a harvest in Luke Short's life 85 years later. And talk about scattering your seed on the waters and waiting for it to come back. So worry gains you nothing, but work, doing things with your hands, is valuable. Here's the second big theme in these Chapters, these final chapters in chapter 12 now, really. Youth and old age, end of chapter 11, beginning of chapter 12. Youth and old age. The teacher here speaks especially to the young, but those of us that are older, I think, can take things from this, because we're all aging, and some of us are aging enough to be able to tell young people what aging looks like, too. 
Now, he's thinking here, actually, not just of teenagers, because in this culture, uh, in the ancient culture, um, to be young was to be someone that was still able to hold the job down. So physically able to do a job, um, which, you know, nowadays is actually becoming older and older, isn't it, in our own culture? Let me just summarize again using two of our modern sayings or two phrases today to capture what he's saying. First one is this, make hay while the sun shines. Uh, That's kind of what he says in verse 9. It's not quite, but I think it's close to it. He says, doesn't he, be happy while you are young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. He sort of repeats it um, just in the next line. Follow whatever your eyes see. Know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Follow the ways of your heart, whatever your eyes see. Make hay while the sun shines. If you're young, he's saying, make the most of it, enjoy it. Uh, And remember that those days one day will end. Now again, words like pleasure, delight, joy, are not ones we always associate with being a Christian. I think certainly we stereotype Christians as as being miserable, discouraged, um, self-critical, and so on. But actually, this is a huge theme of Ecclesiastes, as we've said already. Delight and joy, he's often talking about these things, and of the Bible, actually. Pleasure, delight, joy. We're meant to experience those things in life, in the good things that God gives in life, and, of course, especially in the best thing of all, God himself. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters, in which he describes um, a junior devil being taught by a senior devil how to tempt a Christian away from faith. At one point, the senior devil is criticizing God's obsession with pleasure. Criticizing God's obsession with pleasure. The devil says this uh, to the other devil about God. He's a hedonist at heart. All those fasts and vigils and crosses are only a facade. Out at sea, or in his sea... There is only pleasure, and more pleasure. He's filled the world with pleasure. There are things for human beings to do all day without him minding in the least. That's what the writer's saying. Here's what the teacher is saying. God has filled the world with pleasure, and when you're young, make the most of the chance to enjoy it. Be grateful to the one who's given it to you. That's always his agenda underneath. But... Make hay while the sun shines. So the warmth of the sun, its kind of what he's saying in verse 7, isn't it, about light and sunshine. Enjoy it. Uh, The taste of a good dinner, an evening with friends, a great film you've seen, a game of football, whatever it is, enjoy it while you're young. Now, the, the realism is never far away. He reminds us in verse 10 that there is a judgment to come, will be held to account for the good things we've done and the good we haven't done. We are called to re- rejoice, as one writer put it, responsibly. Not just to drink responsibly, but to rejoice responsibly. And he says in verse 10 that youth is fleeting. Uh, we'll soon lose it. Uh, these things will one day fade away. Young people, he says, enjoy life while you are young. Make hay. Secondly, and relating still to young people and aging, because life is short, in verse 12, he says, don't leave it too late. And particularly, don't leave it too late 
to remember your creator. To fear God, as he puts it elsewhere. He repeats that phrase, remember your creator. It's there in verse 1. In the days of your youth, before troubles come, before it's too late. And he means there the process of aging and of death. Now, it's an amazing poem that follows. As it struck you as it read, um, what a picture it paints here. Uh, compares the troubles of old age to a storm and the destructive effect a storm has on a house. So the light fades as the storm comes, the clouds return, the doorkeepers are terrified, the strong men are weak, those grinding stop and come indoors, the doors close as people seek shelter, the birds go quiet, streets are unsafe and deserted. It's a very powerful, very tragic picture, isn't it, of what it's like to age, to experience this darkness coming over you. Um, Some actually read these words, this poem, not just as a comparison to a storm, but what's called an allegory, an allegory. That simply means that each of the components in the poem represents something um, in real ageing experience. So this is the kind of way that works. The arms in verse 3, they're called the keepers of the house. That's the arms, my ageing arms getting weak and trembling. The legs, that's the strong men in verse 3, are bent and weak. Grinders, that's probably the teeth, are missing. Windows, that's the eyes, are seeing dimly. Doors closing is that hearing fading, sounds becoming distant. Afraid of heights, um, unsteady. Afraid of a fall that may be fatal in old age, verse 5. Danger in the streets, fearful to go out onto the streets. Almond tree blossoming, white hair perhaps. The wounded grasshopper um, dragging himself along. The shuffling walk of an elderly person. It's a a powerful, uh, quite a tragic image, isn't it? And either way, whether it's, it's just a comparison to a storm or an allegory in that way, it's a powerful message to the young saying, this is our future as human beings, so don't leave it too late, not just to enjoy life, but to find your creator, to remember your creator. Seize the day, we'd say, wouldn't we? Seize the moment before it's too late. Uh, And if that wasn't enough, where's verse 6 going? Well, look at verse 6, it's a picture of death. (laughs) A picture of death, a silver cord severed. It's actually four pictures. A silver cord severed, a golden bowl smashed, a jug shattered at the spring, a wheel broken at the well. It's about the finality, isn't it, and the irreversibility of death. It's broken, it's shattered, that's it. So, uh, if you weren't already convinced by the teacher, does that convince you to remember your creator today, now, before it's too late? Whether you're young or old, whoever I am, That's the call of the teacher. Remember your creator. Get right with him. Find him, fear him, love him, live for him. What's Ecclesiastes saying to us in this chapter 12? Well, I think he's saying, obviously, life is for enjoying. Eat, drink, 
enjoy your work whilst you have time, enjoy your youth whilst you're young. Um, So, you know, enjoy that mince pie this Christmas. Enjoy that new jumper someone's going to give you. Enjoy all the good gifts that come to us from God. Be thankful for a, a dry home, a trip out with the family, and especially for the mercy and acceptance and love of Christ. Enjoy this life and seize the day. Don't keep putting faith off. I've known so many young adults who set out on a career thinking, when I've made it to the next level, I'll do this God thing then. Or when I've got family and we've settled down and life's a bit quieter, I'll think about Jesus then. And the day never comes. It's one thing to turn and remember the Creator late, but it's a terrible thing never to do that. So why not? I mean, just think of the person next to you tonight. Pray for that person in the quiet in a few minutes. Pray that they will know the Creator. Pray that you will know the Creator. Remember him before it's too late. And again, if you're not sure who this is, who is this Jesus that made us and loves us and died for us and rose again for us, as we remember him in the bread and wine of communion tonight, do ask someone over coffee afterwards. How do I find this person? Who is this God that, that you talk about? Help me. would love to do that. So, how do we summarize this extraordinary book of Ecclesiastes as we come to the end? Well, he's done it for us, which is very helpful. He's given us a summary, a conclusion, in chapter 12, verse 13. And it sums up everything we've seen tonight. He says simply this, fear God. Uh, Fear in the Bible is usually not a word simply about shaking with terror. There is that. It's about love. It's about devotion and loyalty. Fear God and keep his commandments. Not because as we keep his commandments, we earn our way to heaven. He loves us more. But because that's how we show that we love him who first loved us. We're not saved by what we do, but by the death of Christ. But we live today in the light of eternity in response to the grace he's shown us. And if you think of it this way, how we use our time, how we do our work, how we experience our youth and live it out, that is going to show whether we feared God or not. What we do with our money will be a marker of what we truly loved. What we do with our bodies, whether we honoured our parents, these things will matter. There will be a calling to account, he says. The cup of water given to one of his people, the act of kindness, the word of witness, these things matter. It all matters. Worry is useless, but work, especially for the Lord, is for eternity. Life is short, and our bodies are wasting away slowly. But in Christ, Paul says in Corinthians that we're being renewed inwardly day by day. Body decaying, heart being renewed. He says these light and fleeting troubles that come to those of faith are achieving for us a destiny, a glory that outweighs all of them. A glory in eternity. It's worth it. Let's pray.
Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Lord, we thank you for the riches of this life into which you gave each one of us birth. We thank you for love, friendship, families, joy, pleasure, delight. We thank you even more for the opportunity to hear of your love and to find in you uh, true pleasure and delight. In the riches of your gift to us of your son Jesus and of your spirit. Of the promise and hope of eternity with you. So by that same spirit, through the word Jesus made flesh, teach us what it is to fear you, to love you and to walk in your ways now and always. Amen.